welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Today's guest reminds me of a Paul Arden quote. Paul said, quote, Making the safe decision is dull, predictable, and leads nowhere new. The problem with making sensible decisions is that so is everyone else. The unsafe decision, or the hero's journey, causes you to think and respond in a way you hadn't thought of. It will take you to a place where others only dream of being, unquote. We need to give ourselves permission to explore new ideas about all sorts of things, and this is how we grow. Radical ideas really shouldn't scare us off, at least not before we've explored them and their possibilities. Ideas that seem too radical even 10 years ago suddenly are on the table and seem much more plausible. Doesn't that often seem to be the case? Can you, dear listener, explore things without quickly and completely dismissing them? Can you turn over an idea and let it percolate in your subconscious mind without having your conscious mind slam the door on it? Give this a go and see what you find out. My guest today is cultural change agent Gregory Sams. Gregory is a fractal artist, social thinker, and author of both The State is Out of Date and Son of God. He is also a publisher, inventor, and the creator of The Veggie Burger. Here is my interview with the always interesting Gregory Sams. Okay, I'm here with Gregory Sams, author and creative thinker Gregory Sams. Gregory, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Tony. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got quite a resume. It's like you've, you're an author, creative thinker, uh, artist, inventor of the veggie burger, creator of the veggie burger. I was looking over your stuff. I'm like, this guy has got like 10 lives rolled into one. And uh, I was so looking forward to talking to you. I actually, uh, I heard you on another podcast. And one of the things I heard you say was that your dad told you to stay off the beaten path. And I was like, what a great piece of advice. <laughs> like, I wish somebody would have told me that when I was really young, because I had to discover that on my own. But how did that play out for you? What, what's your hero's journey been like as you've stayed off the beaten path? Well, it's, you know, at, a, at an earlier stage, it was like when, every, when all my friends were buying guitars and learning to play the guitar, I bought a mandolin. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a good choice. You don't sit around the fire with a mandolin. No, no, no. But, but, but I persevered when, when beer became very popular in England in the early... Wine, sorry, wine was really coming in in the 70s. Yeah. And, and I, I, I studied beer. I got the Bible of beer and I went to Belgium and came back with, you know, the trunk of my car filled up with beer. Um, and when my wife and I, you know, we'd go traveling, we'd, we'd go to Nepal or... In Morocco or in went to Portugal, we go to the north of Portugal instead of the tourist resort type of places. And I used to go to Colorado every every autumn, like a pilgrimage to Colorado, and I'd drive off the main road. You often get the old pass road that's been bypassed by a six-lane highway. Oh, sure. And, yeah. and you'll get three cars a day maybe come along there, and it's just magic. You know, special spot you can, you know, do anything you like and nobody's going to come by and bother you, which is good. Absolutely. And then as I 
young man and, uh, and an older man, I got into psychedelics, which were not exactly the norm for most people. Right, right. But I mean, they're getting a lot more coverage now. I can, I can say things like this and not worry about it. A knock at the uh, door or something, right? <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's, you know, it, it's a glass half empty or half full. It was part of it staying, keeping off the beaten track. Mm-hmm. And part of it is just, you know, why do stuff that other people are already doing? Right, right. It's just much more fun to do something new. And that's why um, in, in concert with my brother, we introduced England to natural foods and organic foods. Sold the very first brown rice. Nobody knew what brown rice here was, let alone miso or tahini or weird stuff like that. Right. Um, and a whole range of organic products, organic food products in the early 70s. So that was that was very off the beaten track. And how'd you, we, how'd you come up with the idea for the veggie burgers? That's everywhere now, right? But there yeah. was nowhere when, when you came up with it. That's right. It's, uh, I was really looking for something to get our company out of a financial crisis because it was, uh, you know, our overheads were, were too much and all of the usual shit. Yeah. And I designed a product when I was, that, that could be produced entirely off-site. Mm. So that we wouldn't need any more premises, any more staff, um, and I and I thought let's take on the take on the big boys. Let's do a burger, mm-hmm. a vegetarian burger, and that because hamburger was the, the epitome of fast food. Right. And I really worked on this product, and I'd never eaten a hamburger even at that point in my life because I'd become vegetarian when I was ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it was something that you know was my idea of what a burger, the texture, the satisfaction of it would be, and. And I set off, having done the natural food thing for 15 years, I started a completely new company with one product mm-hmm. for a market that nobody knew existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and people thought I was crazy, but I th- thankfully I didn't take too much professional advice and I went ahead with it. And it just, it just exploded. Yeah. into this this black hole that nobody knew was knew was there actually must have helped pull the company or or the new company made made the made the nut so to speak right it's like yeah. you weren't hurting after that yeah and, and I, I i came up with the term veggie burger right green burger plant burger you know about mm-hmm. six choices and i i singled out veggie burger but it didn't stand out right right it didn't sound descriptive so i could trademark it but it was a hell of a difficult trademark to 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 defend. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, as a creative thinker, uh, I was looking over your writing and you seem like over time you've been enamored with chaos theory and fractal geometry are two kind of areas. I don't know that much about chaos theory. So I was hoping you could um, help describe that a little bit. Fractal geometry. I have some books on it and I also mm-hmm. got kind of smitten with it. And I remember when I was a young man and I first saw the, the crop circles in England and, and the ones that were of fractal nature, you know, and I remember just going, oh my God, what are these? Who's creating these? And, and this seems to be like some secret language, you know, these, these, you know, <laughs> huge, you know, fractal uh, symbols uh, that were in, you know, sometimes as big as a football field or two football fields. I know, I know. It was, and, and I would show it to my friends and sometimes they'd go, you know, oh yeah, you know, they wouldn't really take it in and others would be like, what in the hell? How do they do that? I'm like, I don't know. Nobody yeah. really knows. So I can't help you with crop circles. That's, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. mystery. It's yeah. a mystery. I, I wish I knew. Um, but uh, the fractals, fractal geometry, that's kind of tied in with chaos theory. And what really appealed to me about chaos theory is it showed how complex systems self-organize. They form some sort of harmonious order 
of their own, whether that's in the rainforest or a weather system or a village pond and the, the microbiome of the pond or your stomach. Um, but you get the sort of organization being done from the bottom up. And one of the most common ones is, is a city mm-hmm. where everybody gets fed according to when they're hungry, where they are, how much money they've got in their pocket, what their taste in food is. And nobody's planning this centrally from the top down. Right. Scientifically speaking, that's almost miraculous. That's why they had food rationing in England for nine years after the end of the Second World War. Because mm-hmm. these idiots thought somebody's going to starve if we're not managing this. You know, how's it going to work? Right. And right. Of course, nobody starved when they finally stopped. Um, and that, I realized that to me had major sociological implications for how we run our society and how we organize. And that was a. Uh, I knew scientists wouldn't go there because when scientists got involved in sociology, the Nazis and the the Soviets gave it a really bad name. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is really showing us that we shouldn't be giving these really important, complex tasks to government because we think that it's, it's so important they've got to run it. Right. Um, because we we organize those things ourselves when we're allowed to do it. And that was that was the message that I wanted to. Yeah, get people familiar with chaos theory and these wonderful psychedelic fractal images mm-hmm. um, appealed to the old hippie and me, and it was like a hook to hang this stuff on. Right, And right. it was also an image that wasn't computer generated. You need the computer to figure out what it is, mm-hmm. but the image is already there. All the features you need for it are there in the computer. It's like a camera um, reacting to the light that hits the grains of the film. The fractal is responding. It, it's arising from what happens on a point of the piece of paper when a simple formula hits it. But that's mm-hmm. probably too much to explain over the... Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I wanted to ask you, uh, applying chaos theory, let's, I'm going to reverse the questions a little bit because you've led into um, your book, The State is Out of Date. Right. You have a video that I saw that I've been passing around. It's a nuggets in a nutshell. What would life be like without the state? And so in this, you kind of question the top-down hierarchy that we live in with our governments and the state. And I, re- I watched the video, and it's just it's really exhilarating to think of no state or applying yeah. the principles of self-organization that you're talking about. Um, and there's some people might reflexively say, well, that's silly. We couldn't do without the state. But it's like, well, wait a minute. Why, why can't we at least take a look at it and have a creative conversation? Why can't we talk about the possibilities without getting, you know, oh, that, that could never work, right? And, and I was shocked when I was listening to you that there had been, I hadn't even really looked at it. And you were bringing the attention that there has been civilizations where there's been no top-down rulers, yeah. right? And I, I was trying, I was looking that up. I, I don't know if it was the Sumerians or the Babylonians or a Mesopotamian, somebody, but they, there was no top-down. Yeah, and it, it always started out like that, you know. Until yeah. we, until we built up some wealth, there was yeah. nothing to plunder and tax. Right, and then one of the things that really jumped out that you were talking about, you said for starters, with no state it would be less complicated, divisive, and confusing. And I'm like, well, that is a fantastic place to start, right? Something that's less complicated, divisive, and confusing. And then you really bring up, which is obvious, the the wealth that would be left in our culture and in, our, in society and for people if there wasn't the state sucking half of it away, right? <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, duh. 
But what else, what else would be possible without a state? What else could we envision if we pulled that out and, and did it ourselves? Well, the only thing that wouldn't be possible, mm-hmm. and this is the, the core raison d'etre of every state, mm-hmm. um, is to protect us from other versions of themselves. Right. But if they're not being funded, let's just say they, let's just say they do collapse. Let's say they're not, they're not there. Yeah. Um, have to realize that just about everything they do aside from fighting wars, is subcontracted to us. Mm -hmm. They find us to build the roads and build the machines that build the roads. Um, We're perfectly able to build skyscrapers and underground transport systems um, ourselves. And I don't think we need a government and all the apparatus to make sure we drive on the right side of the road. There's very little that they actually, that we can look back in history and say, yep, thanks for the state for that. A radar right. is one thing. Um, fondue is another. There was a cheese shortage in, uh, I'm a cheese glut in Switzerland years ago. <laughs> Thank God for fondue in the state, right? <laughs> <laughs> and beet sugar, that was Napoleon. Um, oh, right, right. But, you know, whenever they do, they do these surveys in different countries. I've seen about half a dozen of them of which profession do you trust the most? And mm-hmm. doctors or priests, you know, might be at the top. And at the very bottom is always politicians, below, yeah. below lawyers, taxi drivers, car used car salesmen, you know, people, they're the least trusted people. And yet we entrust them with the most, some of the most important aspects of our society. And then we complain about, you know, health and drug purity and laws and food quality and, you know, so many things that they're managing or supposedly managing. Um, we had, you know, guilds, trade guilds that ma- made sure that products that you were buying were legitimate. But if, and if you wanted to buy from a baker who didn't belong to a baking guild, well, you know, you're taking a slight chance there. Right. Um, but, you know, you have the freedom to do that. And it's, yeah, I mean, life without them. And, and so many of the things that you need the state to look, look after homeless and unemployed people, they wouldn't be homeless and unemployed if the state wasn't sucking half of our wealth into itself and, and mm-hmm. like sprinkling back an eighth of that. Yeah, yeah. You said something in the video. You said jails are so last century. And I completely agree yeah, yeah. that we're long overdue to completely reform that, you know, get rid of it. I mean, we put so many young men in prison here for really shaky stuff. I mean, I know there's, I know there's violence, but uh, I just, it, it, I feel like we could do a whole episode just on that because it's, uh, I think it's all part of the the system that we live in that isn't really working. Uh, yeah. And you know, it, it's good business for the people that build jails and sell crappy food you know, on contract to the prisons. But other than that, it doesn't really help society as a whole, I don't think. So um, I'm getting a lot of, I'm having a lot of conversations with people talking about what's going on with COVID and all of these restrictions and mandates. And I'm a little bit shocked at how many people I'm talking to don't seem to have an issue with it. And I thought you might be somebody that has an issue with it because of the way you write and the way you think, because I mean, I have a minority of my friends are kind of like, this looks like, you know, fascism, or this is, this is some tightening down of the state or, and I, I agree with that. Um, and I'm just, I'm a little bit surprised. There's not more people that are getting at least somewhat alarmed 
by what's happening. And I think it's happening where you're at too, the same way, you know, there's some, there's some pushback, but I don't see, you know, I see a lot of compliance and I see a lot of people going, well, we just got to get through this part. And I'm like, that's, no. I think it's just this part, but then it's no. the next part. And they, you know, so what, what are your thoughts on what's going on right now? I, I think it's the most horrific thing. Certainly it's happened in my lifetime. And I think in the history of humanity, mm-hmm. there's never been such a giant hoax. Yeah. And you know the the groundwork is so clearly being laid for this a totalitarian dystopian future, you know, something beyond anything George George Orwell would have had worse nightmares about. Yeah. You know, where you know, wherever we are, whoever we's with, what we're buying, even what we're thinking, mm-hmm. you know, if we're writing stuff while we're online, what we like, what we don't like, our bank accounts, our money in a cashless society, which is what they're moving, trying to move towards. Yeah. Um, it's just, and then forcibly medicating us yeah. you know, and our children. Um, it's just, it's, it's a horrific thing that is being imposed upon us. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be easy with AI running it. It's going to be very hard to get out of this. And then people say, oh, well, it's good for the environment and it's getting us, you know, the, there's not, not only the airplanes in the sky, but, you know, it's the death of theaters, restaurants, yeah. clubs, yep. trans, public transport systems, you know, and, and partying and going to football games and restaurants. It is not been, and festivals is not threatening the future of the planet. It's it's the it's what brings humanity together in these wonderful and joint events, and we don't we don't we don't need damned inve- injections to be human. Yeah, I'm I'm appalled by it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really it's strange, you know. Um, it seems there seems to be like a neck and neck race right now. There's an awakening happening in our tribe. Con- consciousness is awakening some of what was previewed in psychedelics whether it's ayahuasca or lsd or however whatever consciousness used to pry open the portal to see the cosmos or see the divine that seems to be quickening in the tribe at the yeah. same time like you said orwell's vision from this top-down cabal is desperately trying to put the screws down before humanity can realize we don't need any of this crap anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's an interesting time. I, I realize, um, you know, not to get overly, you know, woo-woo or mystical, but we're already talking about psychedelics and all this stuff. But I realize that, you know, my soul's journey, like I came here for this very purpose, to be at this crossroads of oh shit and oh yes all at the same time, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's thrilling. And also, I can envision it. Here's the thing that I noticed if I start going too far down the nightmare scenario that I can envision, like taking Orwell's and just going AI and. Mm-hmm. I'm actually being used, then I'm participating, my consciousness is being used by this top down hierarchy. It's my refusal to to say that's the way it's going to go. It's like I can see, I can see the dystopian vision, and that is not what's going to happen. It's going to be this other thing that gets built. 
And it's going to happen in these conversations that we have and what we have in our tribe that builds it. And so I'm super optimistic. At the same time, I can really be in a place like you just mentioned, where it's like, holy shit, you've got yeah. to be kidding me. But I don't stay with it. I'm like, I'm not going to, you're not uh, going to use me. I've got, I've got sovereignty over my consciousness and what I'm envisioning. And I'm envisioning mm-hmm. something a lot more grand and divine than you can top down. So yeah, yeah. does that make sense? It does. If if their system collapses, like mm-hmm. as we know, two thousand and eight was kicked downstream. We've been paddling, yeah. you know, downstream yeah. ever since. Yeah. And my initial thought was that the virus was just a cover for the global financial collapse. Yeah. Um, you know, it's blaming on the virus instead of bankers and politicians. Right. Uh, I think it's even bigger than that. But but if if it does, if that house of cards does collapse we may be able to replace it with something yeah. that is more sustainable and equitable than, than what we've got at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a tough call, but it's something people are able to do and have done in the past. Right. And the right. fact that we, there are more of us now than there were in the Indus Valley or the early Mesopotamian times, that's true, but being connected is what enables that. And we are more connected than they were 5,000 years ago. Absolutely. Well, I love what you said, too. You said um, that we, the people, were really good at rising to the challenge, right? We, yeah. we do this. We forget that we're good at this, of rising to the challenge, because we have this state that takes care of all this stuff, inefficient, mm-hmm. sometimes hindering us, and now making a lot of mandates and, and actually impeding our fulfillment. Um, but we, and I think we can forget that, you know, we're really inventive. We're really good at creating stuff, right? And I just love what you said. It's so humanist to say, you know, Hey, you know, we've got resources. Yeah. We're up against it. And, and it looks like, you know, we're being boxed in, but we're also really good at creatively thinking about how to create something new out of it. And I think something as monolithic as how to envision without a state. I think it's a good thought exercise yeah. for everybody because mm-hmm. I think people just don't think about it. I, I know I did not, you know, maybe I, I teased it once in a while and then I got into your stuff and I'm like, maybe I should spend a little more time um, with this kind of idea and, and yeah. envisioning because I think it leads to really creative ideas and solutions. Exactly. And when you think about digital currencies, mm-hmm. you know, the only real, the, the main fear about digital currencies is what are the governments going to do about them? Right, right. You know? Gregory, are they good or not? I mean, like, is cryptocurrency, like, yay? Or is it kind of like, uh-oh, that's another way to track us or or say, yes, you can come into this place if you have this, you know, medical vaccine or whatever. I mean, is it... Well, not, not the cryptocurrency, not the, not the Bitcoin's existing crypto, you know, cryptocurrencies that have been created. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's dependent on people, you know, recognizing the value of it. Um, but it's a lot less manipulable and than our fiat currencies mm-hmm. out there. Yep. And you know, if they take away paper money, then you know the only free system would be digital currencies. But I say digital currencies are they're a great model. Yeah. And 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 the, the only danger is that the government's going to ban them or tax them or do some goddamn yeah. you know, ruin them like they you know, nearly ruined. Uber and you know, trying and Airbnb in some places. Totally, you know, things systems that we create to deal with a need, and the government gets lobbied by some interest group. 
mm-hmm. or the other and bans it. I mean, do you do you think this whole notion of no state, do you think it happens, you know, because of a massive, you know, collapse of the financial system? And that's how, and then, and then there's just like, it's just in shambles. And so there's, there's room there to create, or do you think it happens on a micro level where maybe you have a state or you have, it's small, it starts small. Maybe there's a state or a County or something where it's like, Hey, we're going to, we're, we're, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to disengage. We've got attorneys who we're, we're, we're pulling out and we're just going to do everything ourselves. And it starts on a micro level and builds from there or a combination, like how, how could it happen? What is what is a scenario where we could actually see it happening? Well, I think I think building up on the micro level to be ready, have a structure ready to actually kick in mm-hmm. when the exterior system crumbles. Uh, that's one way of going for it. Yeah. Because you're not going to, it's going to be hard to kick out if you like the ruling class. Right, right. Exactly. And just say, we don't yeah. need you anymore disarm your police, don't send them yeah, to... Yeah. Um, Step down, please, and they're going to, right? Yeah, but, sure. But we are seeing, you know, more and more of a crumbling of their services as they've got, you know, nothing left, you know, hardly anything left after they're paying their salaries and their offices and God knows what. Mm-hmm. I don't know about in America, but over here, you know, a lot of public services, social services are you know, dwindling. Oh, yeah, here too. It's horrific. You know, we've got, I mean, I live in Seattle. We've got two of the richest men in, in the world with Jeff, yeah. Be- Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, you know, two guys God. that everybody everybody hates them, but they, you know, are so rich. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the sun a little bit with you. Yeah, you, wrote, yeah. you wrote a really interesting book called Son of God, that's S U N, and then of God with God not capitalized. Right. Um, and where you propose that the sun has consciousness or is a sentient being. And I, you know, this is something that's so interesting. I I did some research, you know, I think anybody that has, that starts to touch on mysticism a little bit plays around with this idea as they're gazing at the sun. And there's all this stuff Mm -hmm. about the benefits of sun gazing now and, and, you know, there's been solar deities all throughout before there was the, you know, three Abrahamic religions. That yeah. was that was what we, we did was worship a deity in the sky. And uh, and so I guess I wanted to give you a chance to to explain, like, how did you come up with the idea? Um, it's, it's a really cool thing. And um, the book's really good. It's got a ton of great, you know, insights into the sun and you know, people just don't think about it. People just think, well, I think a lot of people are stuck in a, in a kind of material, you know, reductionistic, well, that's a ball of helium and hydrogen, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's nothing that doesn't, that's not a sentient being, but it doesn't take much to switch over to, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how do I know it's not sentient? You know, it's like, I mean, it's, it's unquestionably star, the starring plays a starring role in the movie of life. Absolutely. I mean, there would be nothing without it. And yet people yeah. spend more time probably selecting sunglasses in their life than they do contemplating this incredible benefactor. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, that which enables life for every, just about every plant and, you know, except the deep sea thermal vents, yeah. but for every plant, animal on this planet, yeah. you know, that this might not know life itself. It doesn't know, it's just, it was a default mode, as you said, for humanity across the globe. Until they, you know, started burning people for enough couple generations yeah. to get that thought out of their minds. Even, you know, 
the William the Turner, the great British artist, um, he was celebrated in his day, but his last words were, the son is God. Because mm-hmm. if he said it any time before that, it could have you know, prejudiced the his, his end of his life even. So the last thing he said was, the son is God. <laughs> God yeah, and he used, to sun gaze, he used to sun gaze constantly. Oh, and yeah. friends would say, you mustn't sun gaze. And he said, listen, for me, gazing into the sun is like for you looking at a candle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that because I've recently, I had a mystic friend who once told me this was before sun gazing got yep. kind of in the, you know, got popular. You could Google it and stuff like that. And he said, you go out and gaze at the sun. Look right. He goes, you're not going to go blind. He goes, don't do it in noonday sun. He goes, but go out right. at dusk or dawn. And he goes, and just look right into the sun. And he goes, it will activate your pineal gland and your yep. pineal gland is what gives you wisdom. And so I started to do that and things started to shift for me. I, mm-hmm. I, ent- I entered a completely new phase of curiosity, um, wisdom. I just seemed to have access to some things that I did not have access to before. There's no, no doubt about it. And yeah. so I wanted to add, give you a chance to talk about you know, the benefits maybe of sun gazing. Because I think some people still think, oh, I can't look at it. It's bad for my eyes or I need sunglasses. But you know, what, what's your take on it? Well, as you said, I, I mean, it's, it's very safe just before sun, for, for just about anybody, mm-hmm. just before sunset and just after sunrise. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hazier and you can get it for like, you know, 10 or 15, 20 minutes, you can, you can look at it. Uh, it's also possible in, you know, wherever the sun is in the sky, you can actually shut your eyes and actually focus your closed eyes against that brightness of the sun. And that's, that's still enriching. Yeah. But the actual, you know, sun gazing is... If you want to activate the pineal gland fully, I think I did when I was 17, when I did my first sun gazing Mm -hmm. on my first psychedelic trip in Berkeley, Mm -hmm. 1966. And I sort of stared into it for 15 or 20 minutes with no damage Mm -hmm. to my eyes. And, uh, And that's where I realized that this is a living sentient being. Yeah. And... So I don't know if my pineal gland ever deactivated after right. that. Right? Yeah, you. It was a massive download there on Berkeley in Berkeley. But, that day. but I only I only started, you know, doing sun gazing again. Yeah. God, you know, it was after I'd written the book, mm-hmm. and I, I found out that this wasn't an aberration or a weird incident that you could actually do this consciously. And I've been doing it consciously. Also, sometimes wherever the sun is can be high in the sky, but you might get it reflected in a window or off the yeah. water yeah. or coming through a tree or a bit of cloud. And um, there's lots of, you know, secondary sun gazing opportunities. If you put sunglasses on, does that negate it all? Do you think? I or think no? so. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah, and that you know, probably damage your eyes too. If you have right, sunglasses. Right. Right. Have you noticed uh, the sunscreen? I don't put sunscreen on a whole lot, but every once in a while, like if I'm out and I'm going to be at a swimming pool and be there all day, mm-hmm. I'll be like, okay, I need some sunscreen and I want to get burned. You can't find the normal old sunscreen anymore that has like four or eight. It's like right. everything's like 50. It's like, why, <laughs> why are they making the sunblock so strong now? It's like I go to Fred Myers or the store out here and I'm like, there is nothing that isn't at least 30 block. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, why uh, are people so in demand of the absolute strongest sunblock every time? Why? What's wrong I with an eight? You know, I don't know. 
it's it's that that's just people think they're getting more value for money if they're getting 50 at the same price as they're getting 25. is that the reason i think it's probably as simple as that just but marketing it's also it. one of the reasons that over 40 percent of the american population is suffering from vitamin d deficiency oh yeah yeah and yeah. it's it's just you know it's completely blocking out the sunblocks are are very culpable in this vitamin d deficiency and it it's really it's really dangerous yeah. They did a study in Sweden of 19,500 women over 20 years. And they, they sectioned, they decided, you know, they had one group that was avoided the sun and another group that exposed themselves, that got as much sunlight as they could. And as a result of this, they, they said avoiding the sun is, affects the health on the same level as smoking. Mm. And during the 20-year period, the women avoiding sun exposure were twice as likely to die as those getting maximum exposure. Really? Same That's interesting. Yeah. Major U.S. studies showing that regular exposure to sunlight, I'm just reading this from the website here, yeah. reduces risk from various types of cancer, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, myopia, and macular degeneration, diabetes, and multiple sclerosis. And with some of those, it's the vitamin D, and some it's it's just the sunlight. It's an unknown factor. Mm. Mm. It's just it's so so many people, so many more people die from avoiding the sun. Yeah, get than, on the sun than yeah. ever. You know, get affected by skin cancer. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm with you, man. The the sun's glorious, divine. You know, it's 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 definitely uh, not to be avoided. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not advisable. Um, well, Gregory, thanks so much for coming on the show. Is there any uh, creative projects that you have coming up that you'd like our listeners to know about? Well, I am I am writing an autobiography of this wild, mixed up life of mine. You should, yeah. So I'm working on that Good. at the moment, and I've got a website which is gregorysams.com. Awesome. Um, which has got lots of weird and wonderful stuff on it and continues to get more added to it. So, uh, yeah, and, and be free. Um, be aware of this massive worldwide con that's being, you know, put upon us by just a few, you know, a few groups that have got a, it's brilliantly executed, but yes. I hope everybody can have somehow resist it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I look forward to chatting with you again. And if if you're, whenever you have something come up, if you want to come on and talk about it, you got a new book or anything like yep. that, please come back and talk to us. It was an absolute pleasure to meet you. Okay. Been a pleasure speaking with you, Tony. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. I absolutely love people who take the road less traveled and lead an adventurous life. And Gregory certainly fits the bill with this. I will think of Gregory from now on whenever I eat a veggie burger or contemplate a world with no top-down hierarchy. Thank you for joining us, listeners, and we'll see you next week. That's our show for today. Man, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men. 